Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we are the co-developers and co-authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions. The book. Oh, yeah. We have the book. Yeah. This is our book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, we also have the Freedom Model for the Family that we wrote, which is also available on Amazon. Um, that is also available in an audiobook. And we haven't said this in a while, but if you're new to the <clears throat> podcast and you want to check out our book, you can also get a free digital download from us directly at thefreedommodel.org. Uh, go into our books pick the Freedom Model for Addictions or the Freedom Model for the Family, enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. And then you can get those those digital downloads for free or they're relatively inexpensive if you want to get them on Amazon. And the audiobook is available on Audible um, or you can can purchase that right at our website as well, thefreedommodel.org. That's right. And of course, you can also get it in the Freedom Model International membership for thirty nine ninety five. But that has all our courses all in one place. Yeah, uh, it's a great value. You just you go to online at the freedom dot org. If you're watching uh, through YouTube, it's across the bottom of the screen. You'll see all our websites. Um, and yeah, you can have access to everything with a subscription to the Freedom Model, to online.thefreedommodel.org, um, the Freedom Model for the Family Online Program, the Freedom Model Online Program, 
our uh, all of our books and audiobook. Um, and also once a month on Wednesdays at the last Wednesday of the month, we have a free two hour, basically a class session with Mark and I for members only. Um, you log in at any point in time between between three and four thirty. If we if we don't have new people logging in, probably by about four thirty, then we usually will we'll shut it down. Um, but but we've had we've been going right till five every time we've done it so far. Um, and so you just log in and have a question ready. Raise your hand. It's through a Zoom conference. Raise your hand and and you can talk to us directly. Yes, yeah. it's, it's pretty great actually. So, All right. so what are we going to talk about today, Mark? Today we're going to talk about the brain disease uh, of addiction model. Yeah, we haven't uh, talked about that in a really long time. Yeah, and um, I think I was doing a class on it here at the retreat at the St. Jude retreat um, yesterday or day before, and going through I think it's Appendix C. Maybe in the book. I don't Appendix know. Appendix B is Appendix the B. brain disease model. Yeah. It debunks it. So I was going through that with with my student, and uh, it occurred to me just how absurd mm. it is that the the supposed research uh, that NIDA has done on this. That NIDA is the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and they are the basic creators and promoters of the propaganda that you have a broken brain. Yep. And that, let me, I want to frame this so that we know what we're talking about. So the theory goes like this, that you uh, use substances heavily, which then changes the biology and and uh, your your neural functioning in your brain, which then renders you incapable of saying no to future use for life. So, so in other words, let me just, you're, you're compelled to use you, you, if you're triggered to use, then you can't say no. If you have one hit, one dose, one drink, then you will be using uh, presumably to the death. That's right. It reignites the disease, the broken brain. And, um, the unfortunate part about this is, um, it's a, a fairly complex problem that they've that they've created, and uh, but here's the beauty: the solution is very simple, and I'll get into what I mean by all this. So, um, so I was teaching this student, and and uh, let's say his name is is Bob, and and Bob was he had been in and out of treatment three times, four times, and he's like, oh God, I heard this this hijacked brain thing constantly and he was in the he was in the treatment mill down in southern florida which is probably the worst place you could go yeah. um for treatment because it's just it's just an insurance scam i mean it's unbelievable what they're doing to people that's where the whole you know post- patient brokering thing happened and uh the, they call it the florida shuffle um and people were dying i mean yeah. there were a lot of kids and i'm were sure dying. they still are sadly and so my my student had gone into treatment only because his girlfriend went into treatment. He didn't even really, I, he, sure, he partied heavy. He had a problem. I think he had some some costs he was willing to pay. He's in his 20s. Yep, late 20s. And then, and then all of a sudden, they start teaching him that he's broken. And he said, no, I'm, not, I'm really not broken. You know, I can take it or leave it. 
And so then they kept harping on him that he would be an addict for life. And within a year, he had overdosed twice on fentanyl um, and nearly died. And he goes, you know, before treatment, I would never would have even thought about. He's like, I never did heroin. I never did fentanyl. I never did. I, this just wasn't something I would do. And he goes, but I thought I was broken. Yeah. And they had convinced me. And that's exactly what my experience was. And I know that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Not in treatment because I didn't go to treatment, but I was told I was broken from a very young age, mental health wise. And, and then I was told that I had, I, you know, I had the gene, the genes for addiction, for alcoholism. And that if I ever touched anything that I would be addicted. Right. Right. It's, it's just really dangerous talk. So this broken brain. Uh, so let's go through it. So you, you drink and drug heavily, you build a habit, and then uh, they teach you that you have uh, neural functioning that is now compromised. And so there's two things wrong with this theory right off the rip. First of all, your brain doesn't make your thoughts. So treatment comes from an angle, all treatment does. And a lot of the medical community comes from the angle that your biology, the, the neural functioning, the electrical, chemical, bloody thing in here is making thought. That it controls you. Right. That the biology, the neural functioning is what's controlling your, uh, what, the way you frame your world, your thoughts, your loves, your desires, your memories, all these things are centered in brain tissue. Now, the brain has a very, very important part with thought. Obviously, it, it, it's an integral part, but your mind is really the uh, operative thing that's in control, your thoughts, the metaphysical thoughts. So, so they got it backwards. They got it backwards, first of all. But regardless, let's talk about brain changes. So does, do drugs change the brain physically? The answer is yes. Of course. All right. This is important because people will say, oh, you're saying drugs don't do anything? I, that's, that drives me nuts. Yeah, we've and, never, 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 never said that. Right. I, Not I, even once. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to I I hammer this because the people in our groups constantly say, oh, you, you, you're Well, dead. it's not, no. There's a lot of people in our groups that get it. Right. And oh, thank true. God for them. That's true. Because, that because true. they go to bat, you know, they, they, but there are people that come into our groups, into our groups that are struggling. Okay. Mm -hmm. They didn't like AA. They didn't like treatment. They didn't like to be told that they were broken. They didn't like that they were being trying, that somebody was trying to control them. They don't like those things, but they come into our group and then they, it instantly see our group as, oh, these people are telling me I can do what I want to do, basically. So that's attractive. Um, but then the the purpose of the freedom model is not to tell you, you know, yeah, nobody should have to tell you what to do. And you can go out and get drunk and high and have no content. You shouldn't have content. Never do we say that. But they come in and the purpose of the freedom model is to show you that you're in control. Yeah. Period. Right. And always have been. And you always have been. And so we're giving you the information so that you know that you're in control so that you can then in turn make a decision on what you really want. And, and, and because we take all the judgment out of it, um, it's, it's, it's just a confusing thing for a lot of people. And so we get people that come into our group that are like, so you're saying that drugs don't do anything because they're going from one extreme. Right. 
to the other. That's right. And it's like, no, there's middle ground here that you're totally discounting and missing that where we, that's where we sit. That's a, that's a great point. So the middle ground is drugs do in this, in this subject, drugs do change the brain. Absolutely. They're a toxin. Right. And, and so there's two ways that it affects the brain. One is as a toxic agent, right. Or, or as, as a something, a substance that the brain basically adjusts to physically. And then there's also the, the action of neuroplastic change based on habit. Right. Um, Which, Which happens with any habit, not just drug use. Right. So, so these two ways, the brain adapts to the drug. Now, the physical adaptation may result in some withdrawal with certain drugs um, or some damage to the brain. And we don't discount that. We're not saying that that doesn't exist. That does exist. The good news about all of that is with proper medical care or with uh, good knowledge, you can stop and mitigate the damage. And our brain is very, very resilient. There's a lot of stuff out on the web that's misinformation. It's hyperbole. It's 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 panic driven. It's fear driven to get you to go to detox when most of the time you don't need it. Um, and so so there's that angle where there's a brain change based on toxicity, based on the chemical action of the drug, that detox or just getting away from the drug will rectify. That's a very simple thing. That part is very simple if you understand the basics about detox and things like that and drugs, drug chemistry. Um, The harder part to nail down that gets people confused is habit. Yeah. Because our habits, our, our desires and our behaviors change our brain constantly. And so this is where the brain disease theorists really kind of don't they, they, they mix and match all of this into one big bowl and they kind of stir it around and say, drugs change your brain and they compel you to use. And then they use really fancy neuroimaging uh, images mm. and, they, and they print them. We print them in, in our book. Um, and, and then they say, these scans show. Well, the people at NIDA kind of got caught with the pants down in a, in an interview with National Geographic when the lady said, and I, I forget, I don't think it was Nora, I think it was one of her, her managers under her, scientists under her, researchers. Um, and she said, you know, I stare at these images all, all day long and it's like reading tea leaves. You know, I just love it. And reading tea leaves is voodoo. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's magic. It's mystical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and we're not knocking it. It has its place, I suppose. But, <laughs> but when it comes to brain imaging, it's, it's, it's telling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That they don't know what the hell they're looking at. But they don't. <laughs> because, <laughs> because brain scans don't tell us what people are thinking. No. And so what we're talking about is brain changes that are driven by our thoughts and our habits and our behaviors, which is all thought driven and desire driven. And so what they're trying to do is map out somehow with tea leaves um, (laughs) that they know what you're thinking. They understand that uh, through blood flow and electricity in your brain tissue, they, they can, they can hammer out and figure out how you're thinking. They can't, they can't. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's, it's, it's a, sort of a blunt tool and it's in most cases arbitrary, but here's what's even more scathing. Before I go into this, do you want to say anything? No, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Um, 
so they did these studies over and over and over again with methamphetamine users, which is like the the studies that they constantly point to, you know, that, and people, I'll get methamphetamine users here that say, yeah, there's holes in my brain. I'm never going to, I'm never going to like any, any type of thing again, because my dopamine and serotonin have been hijacked by the drug. And there's no evidence of this. There's no evidence of this. Now, if you have, if you have legitimate disease or, uh, you're the one in a million people who hit drugs so hard that there is holes in your brain um, from toxicity. That's an incredibly rare scenario. It is not the norm by any stretch of the you're, imagination. What you're talking about is basically like a closed head trauma. Right. Like, like you've done enough drugs or maybe you had an overdose and you were deprived of oxygen for a period of time. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can, our brain can become damaged maybe as a, as a, Direct or indirect result of intoxication, um, but but it's a very rare case that the drug itself will damage, will physiologically damage your brain to the point where where you it affects you neurologically. That's right, and and it affects you to the point where you can't think, and it renders you incapable of thinking. Yes. Okay. So, um, because the brain is needed to process your metaphysical thoughts. Yes. That's just the way it works. When you're severely intoxicated, that can happen at the point of severe intoxication where you're about to pass out. Yeah. You know, because you become unconscious. Because you become unconscious. It is the process of becoming unconscious. Um, and that's just but, a separation but, between the metaphysical and physical brain. Exactly. Yeah. But when you wake up, you, you probably have a bad headache and a terrible hangover. Um, but within a couple of days... Your brain function is fully restored and you're, you, you're back to doing what you do. That's right. So you're, you're very, very resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, so with all that said, so they did, they did these studies and in the studies, well, first of all, before I get to the studies, I have to say that 90, over 99% of methamphetamine or cocaine users stop. Yes. Okay. They stop. So there is no disease present of compelled use. Number one, that, that's all that literally that's, takes the whole yeah. problem of of their studies and and how fraudulent they are and and highlights that yeah. it highlights the fact that that nearly everyone, nearly everyone, more than nine out of ten people, stop. Yeah, and they do it with their with or without treatment. It really is the most of them do it. Eight out of ten do it without treatment. That's right, in the population as a whole. So, but here's something that, that, uh, Stephen pointed out in the study and we've talked about this before, but this is really important. So they did this study and they said, here's a brain. We have images of brains that are normal from the past now. And here's a user, here's a user 14 months after a year, 14 months da, 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 and the brain recovers and all this stuff happens. And we don't disagree with that. That's great. Whatever. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of tea leaves. It's, it's guessing, but Hey, whatever. We, we, we see it. People move on and get healthy. But here's the, the problem. When they take somebody, the sample of people for the study, let's say it's 50 people, and they say, okay, you're, you're a heavy methamphetamine user. Yes, I am. You're going to you volunteer to be in the study. Yes, I do. Okay, we're going to take scans now, and then we're going to take scans um, when you stop. So please stop. They stop. Uh, they take the scans post-treatment and da 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 So here's the problem. 
the whole it's it's so unbelievable. This is so unbelievable. And I think we covered this in you know, a, a podcast a long, a long, time, long ago. time ago. It's so unbelievable because nobody pointed this out. <laughs> the theory is that the more diseased and broken your brain is based on the drug use, the heavy drug use, the more compelled your use will be. In other words, the less power you have to stop. They took a group of people that were heavy, heavy users. They told them to stop and they did in the study. So they could get the post scans, you know, of a healthy brain eventually. The very study that they're trying to prove compelled use through brain imaging proved that they could all stop because they did. At the height when their brain was most changed, I stopped. Okay. So they took these pictures of these scans when they stopped and their brain was most changed at that point. And I mean, it's remarkable that now we, we assume that nobody in the study pointed that out, but my guess is there were researchers that did point that out and who were summarily dismissed <laughs> or, or, or they said, just ignore it. I, I mean, how it's such a, it literally disproves their theory, but they act as if that never happened. And they just keep talking the talking points about brain disease yeah. and compulsion and compelled use and these diseased brains. Well, okay. Let's say they're diseased. Let's say that there's massive damage. That's not the case, but let's say that there was in a few of the test subjects, they still stopped. So I, I asked Stephen when he he pointed this out. I said, Steve, do you, do you think that they chain these people to a wall? Yeah. How do you think they made them stop? Are they are they locked up? Are right. they isolated in a in a room that they can't get access to people and things and and drugs? I mean, and did they do that for fourteen months because they had a, a scan that was fourteen months later to show that they had physically recovered from the drug use? And the answer was no, no, they didn't. These people went on with their lives and, and they were tracked and, and that's the way it worked. So voluntarily, these people in these studies stopped at the height of brain change, at the height of the diseased state, and nobody was pointing that out. And it was ignored. And so we pointed it out and didn't ignore it. <laughs> we did. And look, at there are many researchers in the past 10, 15 years um, who have written about this and talked about this and really figured out what you're seeing in these brain scans, anything that becomes habituated, learn, uh, what you're seeing in the brain scans is learning. Okay. You, when you learn how to, before you can drive a car, you know, they could take scans of your brain and then you learn how to drive a car and the scans will look a little bit different when you're driving a car. Mm -hmm. Okay. As you habituate anything, um, that are, we're geared towards habituation as a means of being efficient, as a means of learning how we learn language, how we learn musical instruments or learn um, any kind of skill set, you know, is going to make it more efficient for you to do it. And the same thing happens with substance use. That's right. You know, and anything that we set our minds to learning. That's right. So, so in the case of drug use, the reason it gets... A, it, it's allowed to get muddy, muddy 
is because unlike driving a car, which is external to you, you're driving a car, right? Um, a substance gets put in your body. So I, that's why I pointed out early on that the active placebo of being drunk and high and ingesting a substance and having an experience physically adds, adds a level of complexity to the, the situation that makes the water murky. And then all these myths can be dropped into that pool and people feel broken. Yeah. So, so we have to be very careful about identifying what the drug does and what it doesn't do. So the drug does affect you physically. It may damage your brain. It may alter neural functioning while you're high and for a period thereafter until you detox. True. Absolutely. True. And that can give the impression that something is deeply wrong with your mind. And when they connect this, in the book we call it Learned Connections, when they connect uh, the sensations in your body and brain with an idea, we call that a learned connection. And that is the drug makes me happy. It makes me sad. It makes me, but now it makes me broken. You can believe that too. Yeah. And it becomes your truth. Yeah. Now I get guests here at the retreat all the time that feel like they do meth, right? And what do they say? Uh, it's going to take me months of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Oh, that oh, whole you know, idea. My biochemistry is screwed up for how long? T talk about maybe some of your females that have- Oh my gosh. I mean, most people think that they're, it's going to take them six to 12 months because that's what they've been told um, to where, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be pining away for it. They're not going to be wanting it or um, their brain is going to work properly. Here's, here's the thing about the way our minds work and work with, within our physiology, our minds are a hundred times more powerful than most people give them credit for. And, and I was actually talking to my son who was on vacation and he got a really bad sunburn and he started getting, he got sick. Um, and he started to convince himself that he was having some kind of allergic reaction and his throat literally started closing up. And, and he, he told me after we picked him up from the airport last night, he said, he goes, and then I remembered something that you'd said. And he goes, I thought I was creating it. And so I started to envision in my own mind that it wasn't happening that, I mean, I, if he had told me that was happening, I would have been like, go to the ER. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not somebody that's going to be like, oh, that's your mind. But he, he, what, the reason I'm telling this story is he goes, mom, I was creating it because I was envisioning in my mind that I was, he's, he's allergic to a lot of things that I was having some kind of allergic reaction, even though I knew there was nothing. And, and he goes, and then I started thinking, no, you've just got a cold and a bad sunburn and you feel like crap and nothing bad is happening to you. You're going to be, he goes, I took some Benadryl and I went to bed and I was fine. And, and so you're, you can, you, I mean, anybody that's being honest knows that you've talked yourself into certain things mm -hmm. like in your own mind, you've talked yourself into big things, bigger than this idea of post-acute withdrawal. So you can believe whatever you want. You can believe that I am going to struggle with this for the next six months and it's just the way it's going to be. And then everything that happens corroborates that. Exactly. You will, it's called confirmation bias. Yeah. You will look for the things. And I've talked about this in recent podcasts. You will look for the things that make it real and you will discount the things that don't. And so, so it's important to kind of, 
check yourself and be like, what if I imagined, what if I framed it in my own mind that that's not, maybe that's not real. And maybe I'm going to look for confirmation bias that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you will see that evidence too, if you look for it. Oh, that is, that is a great point. You are what you think. Yes. And, and so please discard the brain disease farce. It literally has been disproven over and over and over again. So if you're struggling, go to appendix, all of our appendixes have all of that research that starting with appendix A, which is the loss of control, Dr. Carl Hart's work is remarkable. We talk about it in in, chap, in uh, appendix A quite a bit, um, where he shows that nobody is compelled to use, nobody ever loses control, no matter no matter how far down they've gone, no matter how compelled they feel um, that nobody's ever out of control. The priming dose studies show that over and over and over again. This research has been redone and shown to be real. Um, and then Appendix B is the disease model where we just debunk it. We talk about it for what it is, which is it really started, its roots started in this idea that we have to destigmatize. Yeah. Heavy substance use by making it a disease. By that somehow it a that's disease. compassionate, isn't it? More compassionate to say to somebody, "Hey, did you know that you're completely capable of moving past all this nightmare right? you're living?" That I think you're not like you. Isn't it much more compassionate to sell, tell somebody, "Yeah, you may have developed this habit of heavy drinking, but you know what? You can you can break that habit, and you can actually learn how to drink." You know, how to take it or leave it, how to truly drink without a problem. I mean, I think that's pretty damn compassionate. Well, yeah, the compassion is knowing that you're the solution. Or or how about this? Isn't it more compassionate to tell somebody? Um, is it more compassionate to say, as treatment does, you know what, your uh, dopamine's broken now because and nothing else is going to feel good to you ever again, as good as drugs felt to you? Or is it more compassionate to tell people that that's total nonsense yeah. and that you can feel really awesome and wonderful abstinent? In, that in, there's in all these other experiences. And in a matter of days. Yes. In a matter of days. Sleep for three days, eat a good meal, get up, go for a walk and start your day and your life over. Uh, you know, if you know that you can do that, how wonderful is that? Because yeah. ultimately that's the only solution. Yes. Is you. Yeah. So, so, and here's the thing about stigma. It's so, it's, it's the craziest thing. Um, it's stigmatizing. Intoxication is what's stigmatized yeah, in yeah. our society. So, I mean, it's, and, and here, if you want an example of it, this poor newscaster, it's now national news um, here locally to us was on the air, totally inebriated on Saturday and um, so embarrassing. And now it's trending on all social media. And, and you know, I, I feel like if you don't think that's stigmatized, I mean, first of all, she's probably going to lose her job. She's been suspended. I'm sure they're going to force her into a terrible treatment program. I heard a rumor that she had already been forced into treatment once. So is it any wonder that if she's been to treatment already that she showed up drunk on air, believing that she's broken? And, and powerless. And yeah. powerless. So, so, you know, if, 
you know, if you're watching this, um, <laughs> I, I'm not even going to give her name because I don't want to do that to her. Um, but but if you're you found us, we can help you, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's, you know, it's trending because there is a stigma on intoxication for a 40 something or 50 something woman can't be out in public drunk. That's just the way it is without being forced into, into treatment right. about somebody thinking that she's, she's got a problem. Um, and, uh, so, so it didn't decrease stigma is what I'm saying. Right. So, Calling a non-disease, a disease. Is it labels wrong. you forever. Well, it's wrong. Yeah. It's, 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 it's what's more stigmatizing <laughs> than having to like, you know, you've been abstinent for 20 years, but having to walk around calling yourself an alcoholic or an right, addict. Right. In the book, we talk about if your daughter was going to marry a guy that has a disease called alcoholism, if they polled you, would you would you want that? And and right, most and, people don't want that. No, they don't. Polled. Even if the person is sober, they're like, oh no no no, he's a ticking was, time bomb. I think it, yeah, that's right. So mm -hmm. I think it was 79. percent Now we're in class yesterday, and I said. What twenty one percent said? Yeah, I want my daughter to marry an alcoholic. You know who they were? They were the people that are in recovery too. Oh, I know. Believe that makes it. them a better person. <laughs> They're right. brave and courageous. <laughs> now look at I'm not. I, I'm not. Crazy. Anybody that's that's um, stopped a heavy substance use problem. I'm not. I'm not mocking you. Like you're not brave and courageous somehow. We, but everybody has their battles in life, right? Yeah. Um. But but just you know by virtue of you know, anybody that betters themselves in any way, shape or form, I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so but it's not hero status. It's life. It's just life. Like just everybody, life. Uh, every life. single person who's ever lived and will ever live has struggles. That's right. It's just life. It's just the way it is. And, and the people with substance use problems are no different than people with any other problems that they struggle with. Um, it's, it's behaviors are what they are, but, they are all, we are, are, we, I can't even speak today. We are always in control. That's right. Right. In our That's mind. Right. So I think that, that what we need to do is let go of the, the, the disease model, let go, uh, because it's not true. Let go of the, uh, brain disease model, because that's really not true. Mm -hmm. And know that we change our brain all the time, endlessly, constantly based on our behavior, our thoughts, our desires. Um, and the good news is if we fill our body with all kinds of weird poisons and things like that, the body generally, uh, comes out okay. In the end, we're pretty resilient physically, genetically. Um, of course, if you have other ailments that may not be true, but, the, but, but in general, so that's all good news. That's all good news. It is great news. It's super empowering. And you can just move on with your life. If you don't understand this, read our book, get the, uh, the, the membership. We can teach it to you. That's it's video tutorials. Um, if you're, if you're struggling horribly, come to the retreat, you know, you saw the ads on the end of the podcast. So, well, I want to, I want to just go in a, another direction very quickly that is related to this. And that is you can absolutely, we're not also not saying that people don't feel powerless and compelled at times. Of course. Of course. We have never said, and we, we have never said that that's not real, that that feeling isn't real. Of course it is. Right. We felt that way about many different things in our lives at different points in our lives. Yep. Okay. So, but what we're saying is it's a feeling. And just because you feel that way, the way you break yourself out of that is to allow for the possibility that you are in control. 
Yep. And then run that experiment, run that test and say, I, I can stop this. Right. And that you have the capacity, the, the capacity you were born with it to change your mind about a subject, to be able to learn new information, have new thoughts, which leads to new behaviors, which leads to a new life. So, so that's what this podcast is all about is giving you the information so that you're empowered to say, wait a minute, I, I don't have to believe that anymore. Yeah. I don't have to feel totally hopeless. There was a time in my life, two times where I, I had suicide attempts where I, I felt like there was no way I could survive. So I get it. And I know Michelle does too. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So, yeah. so, so please, if you, if you're listening to this and you're trying to solve a substance use problem, um, don't give up, but, but f- believing in the disease model can actually be deadly. Um, and as it was for our guest who overdosed, I, you know, I, I also had, um, an alcohol overdose. Mark and I talked about this yesterday, um, when I was in college and I didn't even know you at that point in my life that you could overdose on alcohol. Um, but I all, I had bought into the idea that I was an alcoholic already. Um, and so I almost felt as if I could drink as much as I wanted and that I mean, I had a really high tolerance and I like the, the idea that you're out of control kills people. The idea that that's real. Yeah. It does. really does. And it so hopelessness. it does. So our goal is to, in our lifetime, and hopefully we have about 30 years left, <laughs> you know, is to change the way people view addiction and to let everyone know that nobody is ever out of control, not ever, no matter how out of control you feel. Yep. And no matter how much your brain has changed. That's right. That's right. So their studies prove. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, So with that said, I think, I think we've, we've covered this. Yeah. All right, everybody take care. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Look at like us, give us a good rating on wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that helps. Uh, That really does help share this with people that, that you think need the information or can benefit from the information and, um, and check out uh, the freedom model international membership. Um, at online.thefreedommodel.org. Check out all of our other services. Our goal is to provide a solution for everyone. That's right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Hey, everyone. Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question and answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International monthly newsletter where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today.